Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make Connecticut tick. Well, here's a headline for you. There's a four-way race on for U.S. Representative from New Haven's 3rd Congressional District. You may recognize the name of the woman who is currently the Congresswoman, Rose DeLauro, because she's been there since the 1990 election. She has three people looking to unseat her this time around, and one of them is in the studio today. Her name is Amy Chai. She's from a party that's fielding a whole lot of candidates this year, a lot of new energy, the Independent Party. And Amy, thank you so much for coming on the air with us today. Thanks so much for having me. So how's it going? How's it going running for Congress against a, a pretty powerful, uh, long-serving incumbent? Well, it's really an education in how the civic process works, and some of it hasn't been great, but it's very exciting getting to meet people and learning how things work. I've always thought that the funnest part of being in politics would be running for office rather than serving. Like you serve because you want to deliver things and, and do stuff that matters for people, but getting around just hearing what people have on their mind and seeing them in face, you know, in person all over the district, pretty diverse district must be fun. It is. I love talking to people. It's and my thing. <laughs> so how did it come about that you're running for Congress? We've got Leslie Denardis is the um, Republican candidate. She's been in here as has Justin Paglino and Rosa, mm-hmm. just as the Green Party candidate. Yeah. What, what uh, prompted you to want to run for Congress? Actually, my patients prompted me. Um, I run a methadone clinic. I take care of the um, complex patient. I deal with the most sick uh, individuals who have a lot of different problems and also a lot of socioeconomic problems. And I had people coming in suicidal and having relapses because of all the toxicity that they were experiencing. And I just saw that their solutions weren't happening despite the boatloads of money that have gone into the process. And I know that I could do better. It's interesting you bring up substance abuse because that's the kind of issue, and see if you agree with this, that matters so much and so deeply to people in every sector of society. And we don't really talk about in politics, because even though government plays a key role in what kind of treatment of funds and research is, it's not an easy yell at each other argument, right? The kind of things we disagree about that is, should you have people on maintenance mm-hmm. doses of methadone, mm-hmm. or is that another kind of addiction? There's a big debate in New Haven about whether you have faith-based deal with the, um, the way AA does, you know, deal with a higher power and getting your life straight and the underlying issues versus... You're going to be addicted to something, get something that doesn't get you the high that can wean you over time or have maintenance doses. You know, those kind of issues don't make good yell at each other on Fox or MSNBC, you know, but they matter. They do matter. And, and what do you think about all that? I mean, do we, do we, should we be putting people on methadone for long term? Should we even have safe injection sites because people are going to get it and have harm reduction? And maybe this isn't an or, Amy, or do we need to focus much more on therapy? Similar with issues in mm-hmm. suicide. It's like, do we need to be relying less on the drugs and more on the underlying conditions. You mentioned poverty, you mentioned emotional issues. Well, from the treatment side, I'm 100% evidence-based. I only follow the science. I am board certified in addiction medicine, and there are brain changes that take place um, during opioid use. The mu receptors um, are very important in brain alterations, and the brain never quite goes back to normal. Um, once it's been damaged by the drugs. And the evidence shows dramatically that methadone saves lives. And it's not an either-or thing. You, I certainly also recommend like uh, NA and faith and um, family supports and recovery coaches, whatever we have for people. And um, 
the the problem that I see is that nobody's talking about prevention because addiction is a pediatric disease, and that's what people don't talk about. Pediatric. What age groups are you talking about? You talking about pediatric, up to eighteen or younger? Like uh, the eight, well, younger actually, um, but the ages. Um, from nine to 17 are when over 90% of my patients become drug users. Which is the reason tobacco companies really wanted to market the kids because that's when you get them hooked for life. That's ag- absolutely true. And we've known about neurodevelopmental problems for years. And the pro- it's really multifactorial in that what we have, and you're going to think this sounds crazy, but there's a strong link between literacy and drug addiction. It doesn't sound crazy at all. What factors would lead someone to be using drugs? I'm sure there are a million other issues, like whether your parents are doing it, your friends, and whether Correct. you're poor. Yeah. You know. but, but not only if you're poor, rich kids use a lot of drugs too. Right. And Connecticut, I don't know if you know this, but we're 50th out of 50 states in the achievement gap between rich and poor children in our state, which is shocking, shameful, and extremely disturbing that's because because we have the gold coast where all these hedge funders are making such a scene amount of money it like there's no way you're ever gonna have yeah and and it's not like we're not spending the money but we're not spending it the right way because we have people who don't have a like a overview of all of the factors that are involved you have little piecemeal um nonprofits. you have little groups that want their own group but i actually have a comprehensive plan that can close the achievement gap because we do know how okay, to close it. Okay, so let's it. put that on hold if you don't okay. mind because I okay. do want to ask you about education. We're speaking with Amy right. Chai, who's the Independent Party candidate for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District, which includes New Haven and Hamden. A little bit more about pediatrics. So you say it's a pediatric mm-hmm. disease because yes. people get hooked. And I, I'm way beyond my exper- expertise base here. I remember when crack cocaine hit, mm-hmm. they said that the first time you used that intense cocaine or cocaine in general, and especially cocaine, crack is more concentrated, but cocaine too, that for certain people who have genetic predispositions, that high is something you spend your whole life trying to recreate. Yes, That your brain is. has been rewired. You talked about mm-hmm. the brain changing once you have had that drug experience. Mm-hmm. And I know different people, like some people could use cocaine and not be addicted, right? But other people, I'm told that after that first time, that their brain has been altered so that they keep chasing that same high and it will never be as intense again. And that your brain is programmed to like put everything out until you can get that high. Yes. There's, there's a big uh, genetic factor in addiction. There's some people who try a pill, say, for example, a Percocet or an Oxycontin, and they say, I want to feel that way for the rest of my life. Now, when I went to the dentist and I took one, I threw it up. Okay. So there's a big difference in in how people react to the drug. Yeah, like my first... brother was addicted to a lot of things, including Percocet, down to his death, like trying to score him. So then when I went to the hospital or something, I didn't want any. You know, I, they said, don't worry, if you take one, you're not going to take them again. But I guess genetic can even cut within the same family, right? It does. It does, yes. And um, so, so, but you brought up pediatrics. So the genetic predisposition and it starts, mm-hmm. the, the key time you get wired is 9 to 17. Correct. You talk about achievement gaps, so we'll get to that. Is that your main way of dealing with it because of the literacy connection? Um. It's it's really more than that. Literacy is not just literacy. Literacy is not just the school. Literacy involves a community. It involves the fourth trimester, which is the neurodevelopmental time of the infant brain. Um, it involves um, 
the community coming together to give real information to people about how to parent. And as a doctor, I spend about 10% of my income on knowledge that I have to purchase because everything's behind a paywall. So I'm very, very strongly in favor of open access knowledge for people, um, how to do things and for people to be empowered to do these things. So in addition to literacy, yes. how else do you target addiction by looking at the pediatric source? Okay. Um, trauma. Trauma is huge. Um, we have children with a lot of traumatic experience. Perhaps their parents ha- are mentally ill. Perhaps they're living in unstable housing. They've witnessed violence. That's the issue we deal They've with They've witnessed... Vol- Actually, most of my patients have been sexually molested, and that includes the males. That's really sad. Yeah, it's like the He Too movement. The men have also been sexually assaulted. Um, it's everywhere. There's so much trauma, and trauma-based therapy is not really available, and that's... Um, this gets back to the drug thing. There's an article from Page of the Times that these kids who are facing this, they're getting prescribed um, antidepressants and then mm-hmm. secondary antidepressants that aren't even for the condition they have, but it has those effects. The mood and, stabilizing effect, And they're not yeah. getting the talk treatment. Correct. And, or EMDR or things like right, that. Right, right. And they need that. And they also need community. And I've found that as our, and that's one of the, places where it comes in with my personal message, which is unity, unity in the community, it kind of rhymes, but put, but the toxicity of our culture where we hate each other now, where everything's an argument, where everyone um, won't have Uncle Joe over to Thanksgiving dinner because of his politics, um, this needs to stop. It needs to stop now because it's really hurting It's hurting my patients, and I care a lot. You don't mess with my patients, Um, but it's hurting all of us. We're getting more isolated. People are turning to social media. um, Which amplifies. Which amplifies mental health issues and creates an addictive um, issue um, just around the use of the social media, which also knowingly has addictive properties, like the reinforcement of the likes. Right. They've done brain research in that They've done brain research in that, and they are basically... They're dividing us, and the two political parties are a part a party to this. You know, the red meat phenomenon, I mean, what I'm trying to do isn't very sexy. It's trying to solve problems and trying to eliminate division. But the sexy part is always, like, the drama, right? Like, who hates who? You know, that's what people want to hear. So, as I understand, as a doctor, how you can deal with that, tell me a little bit about, as a congresswoman... Mm-hmm how you would address these sources of addiction? One of the things that I would do is I would really get the information out there that a lot of people have the attitude that youth is a time of experimentation, and it really can't be a time of experimentation because anyone who tries any sort of addictive substances, including tobacco, prior to the age of 18 has an 800% increased risk of developing an addiction. So we need to say, no, wait until your brain is developed. Um, You know, the drugs also have a more impact on the developing brain than they do on the adult brain. So we have to stop that kids will be kids, you know, who the cool kids go out and have a party or the cool mom, you know, the cool mom that lets people party at the house as long as they don't drive. That's not okay. I guess sometimes those cool moms are saying, 
that um, the kids are going to do it anyway. They rather they were at home rather than getting a drunk driving accident. That's true, but the research says that if parents disapprove, kids are significantly less likely to do that. Hmm. The parents need to get that message to their kids because anything they try could be fentanyl. They could be dead. They could be found in their bed dead. And that happened to a colleague of mine, her son, 16, purchased a pill over the internet to experiment with it, and he was dead in his bedroom. That's sad stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so outrageous. Let me, let me bring you back, Amy, to yeah. if you were the congresswoman. Okay. And this is all important. Okay. I don't mean to downplay the important cultural issues you're raising Correct. and the treatment issues you're raising. Yes. So I understand how you do it as someone who mm-hmm. advocates, who studies it, who treats patients as a U.S. representative. How will you bring these conclusions you've drawn about addiction and the need for a different approach okay. to how you legislate? Good. That I do have uh, some policies that I want to put in place. Um, and let's start with the beginning. I want to implement the fourth trimester bill. Uh, the fourth trimester bill is for the first three months after a child is born, the kind of support and leave that a new mother has because I have patients that are going back to work before their episiotomy is healed. And then they're stressed, they're anxious, um, the cortisol goes up, the bonding doesn't happen. And the ch- the baby at that time is really having a lot of neurodevelopmental changes. They need that bonding the first three months. So the the fourth trimester bill is how it would start. And what would happen to that? I mean, you're running against someone who's a big proponent of parental leave and connected just Correct. parental leave bill. Yeah. Yes. Um, this is this is one that is going to have, I have a whole idea system in place. One of them is going to have community, what I call literacy doulas, mm-hmm. um, that come in and model parenting behavior. That's funny because I always hear about doula until birth. Until birth. This is a doula in the fourth trimester. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to model, they're going to sit next to the mom, put their arm around her and show them how we read a storybook to our child. They're going to show mom, you know, how to, you know, raise the child in, in a positive way where their identity formation is like speaking life into the child instead of, you know, yelling at the child, how to avoid, you know, traumatizing the child because, um, parents need to know that information. So it's a it's really an intervention based. So would it be government money for doulas? Government yes. money would be more expended parental leave? Yes. There would be the three months of parental leave for moms that is supported financially for them to bond to their children. And who's going to pay for that? That is going to be taxpayer funded. But anything that I do is going to be um, having a return on investment estimation. Because I'll tell you what, one in four of my patients from the methadone clinic are in the hospital every year. That's 25%. And they're having things like their heart is infected and they have to have a new heart um, because they, they shot up and their heart got infected. These are no question that preventing yeah, disease it, the pre- saves money. Yeah, an ounce of prevention is really, really is worth a pound of cure. The amount of money we spend on prisons, on health care, on crime... Yeah. On uh, enforcement, um, in behavioral problems in school, so other children can't learn. These issues will be greatly ameliorated by investing early. And then what about, um, what about the issue of that 9 to 17 period when your brain gets rewired? I also think about driving. 
I'm actually. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. That's scary. Males until they're 25 are kind of yes. impossible <laughs> to drive safely. And I was one of them. Oh, what, my uh, goodness. Yeah. What, um, what would you do as a congresswoman? I get your point now yes. about fourth trimester is very interesting. Mm-hmm. What about as a congresswoman? What would you do about that 9 to 17 pediatric window? Well, there's a couple things I would do. Um, one of them would be outreach to. Well, because a lot of the children now are being born with developmental issues because their parents are on drugs. Um, there's a lot of neurodevelopmental delay problems, and there's also a lot of um, learning disabilities, ADHD, and those kids are high risk um, for, you know, not reading well, not doing well in school, internalizing the idea that maybe they're not good at school, dropping out, and then they get they become runners for the drug people, then they start committing crimes, then they start, you know, get in jail, and then I see them if they're still alive in my clinic. So um, I would intervene there with um, sort of an entire, like behavioral health readiness, which is sort of like reading readiness, except it's an entire school that would be based for like trauma-based therapy. And that removes the people who are acting out from the regular classroom. So you're not into mainstreaming the people you're talking about getting targeted? No, I'm not into mainstreaming. I think that is very disruptive for the classroom. I would like to see a separate school that has like, oh, I don't know, alpacas and dogs and, you know, nature and trauma therapy. And And government again would pay for that. Yes. And this is going to, the, the, the outlay is going to be recouped in expenses down the road. Right. Okay. And we're talking yes. to Amy Chai, who's running for Congress on the independent party. And from be- just reading a little about you and knowing that you're a libertarian, but you're not trying to be put into any box about liberal and conservative and what government should or shouldn't ever spend money. Correct. You've Correct. come up with ideas that I think most people agree pay off over time. That if you do early intervention, you prevent disease, you prevent problems that then fall into the lap of criminal justice system, otherwise, or the healthcare system, you've saved a lot of money down the road. Exactly. But right now, you got to pay for them. Right. And um, I have a hunch there might be big swaths of government spending that you would eliminate. Is that true? That is actually true. That's my hunch. And foreign policy, are we talking about? Or what? Well, now, one of the things I am not really into is proxy wars. I would stop funding Saudi Arabia right now, stop the Yemen conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel as though we are engaging in a proxy war with Russia. For, so you would not support Ukraine? Um, I would res- support Ukraine with you, with um, humanitarian aid, but I wouldn't be spending... I feel as though we're we're trying to fight Russia off the backs of the Ukrainians, is what it feels like to me. I don't know. That's yeah, it what is. it feels like to me. No, it is. And why do you think that's a bad idea if, if the, the argument is that Russia's trying to cre- recreate empire and enslave people and keep moving into the West? I think that they're interested in sort of a, an empire of Russian ethnic, like an ethnostate. Mm-hmm. And I see that. And, and I don't want them to like kill people. I don't want them to destroy the Ukraine. But I would have been a lot more aggressive in trying to get some sort of an agreement. With, and I, I'm not into sending billions of dollars worth of weapons and having Ukrainian people die. Mm-hmm. I just, or Russian people either. It's, you know, I'm not in favor of that. So how would you address the conflict? Well, 
I think that the um, sanctions were good. Um, I would have tried to put a lot of pressure on Russia to get into some sort of talks before this got so out of hand. Um, I think we can still have talks, but as long as we keep sending weapons over there, I don't see them entering talks. And again, I'm not disagreeing with you because yeah. I think these are tough issues and I've gone it, back and forth in my own mind. Yeah. The sanctions have failed. There's an article this morning that Russia is making more money on oil than it ever did. Mm-hmm. And that the only thing that has stopped them from marching into Ukraine, slaughtering tens of thousands of more people, flattening cities, has been the billions of dollars of weapons they've been getting. I'm not saying you're wrong about that. I'm just saying that the, I don't know, some people would argue, let them take over Ukraine. That's their own argument. That's their own argument between the two peoples. There's history there. It's not necessarily going to continue on to Moldavia or whatever. Is that that your feeling? I think they, they... You know, they've always wanted that access to the water. They've always wanted the Crimea. Um, and I, they've always wanted that ethno state. So I don't think they're going to be much more expansionist than that, to be honest. Um, and I think right now what we're doing is sort of playing into the hands of China, too, with their whole Belt and Road Initiative, where, you know, they would love to see a weakened big brother, Russia, where they have more uh, like hegemony over the entire continent of Asia as Russia is weakened. And and then they get to blame the U.S. for weakening Russia. So they come out the shining winner here. Mm-hmm. Talking to Amy Chai, candidate for Congress, independent party. Running against Rosa DeLauro, the incumbent, Leslie Denaris, the Republican, and Justin Paglino, the Green. What is the independent party? What is Stanford? Because I remember from when they first emerged, and got their ballot position was they were quite conservative. They were basically an anti-abortion party. Tom Scott was running for them, nineteen ninety-four, I believe it was. But it's evolved, right? So it's, it's is it kind of like a centrist party, or is that an, an irrelevant way of describing? Like, what does the, the party stand for? Um, if you'll talk to Mike, uh, our chairman, his main issue is ballot access for people that he vets for character. Um, he wants to make sure good people who are qualified are able to run. And I'm sure you're aware that in both parties, good people are cast aside for political reasons, and there's a lot of stuff that goes but on. For instance, are some candidates pro-life and some pro-choice, or do they even talk about that? Or are they? Um... There isn't really a platform, except for being law-abiding and not being an extremist. I thought at one point they affiliated in the last year or two with a group that kind of had a Mike Bloomberg Center tech um, evidence-based platform is that not the, the, the sam party no no sam also affiliated but i thought independent. oh okay yeah the, yeah, the osgrebel people yeah, yeah where, how, where do they stand with them i like the evidence-based idea i'm all about evidence and science and i know that our leadership now doesn't know anything about science or evidence and they don't care to and i think it's it's very important for us to have outcome measures where we can say hey, this policy is going to work. This is the dollars we're going to spend. This is the expected outcomes. And if it doesn't hit these outcome points, we're going to stop. And here's something I ask every candidate. Who won the 2020 presidential election? Who won the 2020 presidential election? Well, President Biden won it. Okay, so you're not with the people saying there were prob- that there was a, a rigged election or a stolen election. That's not where the independent party's coming from. The independent party doesn't, you know, I... I'm so over the 2020 election, okay? <laughs> I'm so over that. And, you know, people are going to milk it forever, but I think we have to care about both sides. We have to care. You know, Connecticut has horrible ballot access, 
And it also has or worse corru- than Georgia. Worse than Georgia. And it also has corrupt uh, election process. So if you're going to support ballot access and you don't support election integrity, then you're screwed. So up. what kind of corrupt? What's there is the corruption in the election? The worst corruption in the elections. Um, well, there's some things that go on in the nursing homes, like the ballot harvesting in the nursing homes that I find to be disturbing. That's a tough one because I've watched some of that and I've gone back to elderly complexes where people vote absentee and they didn't know what they had done when the right. candidate had them sign it. They and sometimes they get mailed for them. The other question is, how do you do it right? When people, should they not vote at all? If First of all, dementia, should they not vote at all? If you know? somebody doesn't know who they want to vote for, they shouldn't be casting a ballot. I'm sorry. That's just my opinion. No, it's interesting. I'm sorry. I'm asking the question. I don't yeah. know how you draw a line. So, but, but there are people in nursing homes who very much know who they're voting for. Correct. They're yeah. very coherent. Yes. They watch TV all day. They know more than we do. So how do you yes. do that? How do you do that? Because they set up so that a lot of them, they can't get the polls. So it's kind of a nice thing, right? Right. As far as the voters go and they set up I there. I think but it's, ni- right, it's nice. Candidates- to sometimes the, the candidates, are the they're being manipulated. I think there needs to be a nonpartisan observation of it. Mm-hmm. I really do. And I think that I actually have the Enfranchise America Act, which is to not only ensure ballot access, but to also ensure election integrity. But plus, what does it matter if you don't have somebody that you want to vote for? So it also will include like ranked choice voting, term limits, and so all you're of for those ranked things. choice voting. Yes. We wonks like me love that. Even though we always love these ideas that end up not accomplishing what we think. Like we thought political action committees were actually a post-Watergate reform. We thought political action committees were going to clean up politics. They became the newest vehicle it's for a, dirty money. Yeah, and yeah. Money There's so much corruption. It's, it's disturbing. It's so really disturbing. So maybe you got to change people. I don't know. It's hard to tell what fixes things. It is. Because human nature... Um, and politics is and about politics, dividing over spoils and power. So that brings out... The yes, worst in human it does bring out the worst. And I'm sure like Rosa was very in favor of the working party at one time, but now she sort of lives in D.C. She never had a kid in the schools in Connecticut. You know, she's she's good at getting money for the state, but she isn't good at um, making sure that it goes where it's supposed to go, making sure that it does what it's supposed to do and, you know, going with the evidence. And we need politicians for the future that understand science that understand evidence that are able to you know coherently discuss issues from both sides that can argue that don't just throw out like some grandstanding statement that you know gets the dogs barking or whatever how did you feel about that during covid did you think it was right to have shutdowns of the schools to have mask wearing policies to have businesses shut for a while to have vaccines mandated by some employers. What did you think about all that? Well, I'll tell you what, not only do I have a degree in epidemiology as well, but I also sat through several pandemic summits back in the aughts. Um, We gamed the pandemics. We did not anticipate as much vaccine resistance as we had. So the numbers- How do you feel about that? There was um, obscene amounts of vaccine misinformation. I put out some videos myself um, about how the vaccine works and why. So you wanted people to take the vaccine? Of course. I volunteered for the Moderna trial myself. And uh, so I'm trying to figure out when to take the new one because it's going to 
help you with Omicron. Hopefully, there won't be new variants. Yeah, too quick. yeah, and I think what. But people, then we have to game because how long will it last until cases are expected to get worse at the end of the fall? Yes, when people are inside more and they do more traveling at Thanksgiving and right. holidays. Yeah, like right now, all the masking and vaccining stuff is kind of irrelevant because the vaccine is still against the original variant. So. It's well, not going help, to help. But they say it does help you not die. I mean, uh, the, states the, with high vaccination rates do not have higher death. Well, yeah. Well, the evidence isn't super great. I wouldn't mandate people right now until we, uh, at right now. I would have mandated them, and I was very in favor of it when we saw good results. But now it's like 30%, really. That's not. But are you talking about results in terms of not getting the virus or not getting very sick. Uh, both, actually. And, hmm. you know, there's definitely, you know, reviewing the evidence. I'm not super excited about where we are right now with getting more and more boosters. Um, what do you think about the Omicron? I think we are going to have an Omicron shot. I mean, we have a different flu shot every year. But, I mean, to spend all that money and try to force people to get a vaccine when you're not getting a lot of good results. Well, at this point, it's not forcing, it's begging. Yeah, beg- begging. <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's very hard. I was very frustrated. Um, I found myself in a lot of, you know, discussions with people about why they should get vaccinated, but I didn't lose any patients, so I'm very proud. I found... I was aware of what was going on well before the CDC was. I called them out like well before while they were still saying this is just the flu. I said, no, we have to. And then I went online. All the PPE was in yen. So I was like, oh, my goodness, it's all gone. I went to Lowe's. I bought a whole bunch. I had PPE made for myself. I spent thousands of dollars. I outfitted everyone in the methadone clinic, all the patients and everyone with PPE. And everybody said, Dr. Chai's stupid. But then COVID came and they're like, oh, (laughs) you're not stupid. But it's like, I studied this. I know this. This is my wheelhouse. Dr. Chai is Amy (laughs) Chai. She's the Independent Party candidate for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District. She's joining us on Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM. We have a few minutes left. I want to ask you about abortion or versus weight. It's the big issue in the elections this year. Are you pro-life or pro-choice? Is that too simplistic? And would you, like Rose DeLauro, support codifying Roe versus Wade into federal law and the legal right to an abortion. I would love for you to read my substack on the issue. Um, it's not a black and white issue by any means. Um, I'm probably the only candidate in the history of ever who has actually performed abortion because I have. But I would only do an abortion for therapeutic reasons like uh, life or health of the mother. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually have a solution that I think is going to help uh, get end this problem. Like we kind of leapfrogged over the solution in 1973. We skipped that discussion that we really, really needed to have as a nation and just had Roe v. Wade come through. And that ignited a culture war for the past 50 years. Now it's time for us to get back and really talk about what really is going on. Um, I will 100% protect women's right to um, be to appropriate health care. And um, I, I think that there's a good solution. It'd probably take me about an hour to explain it, though. Give me the thumbnail. The thumbnail is that um, we codify therapeutic abortion federally, and we let elective abortion be decided at the state level. And that right. will eliminate 
all of the concerns about, oh, someone's going to die or a little child um, is going to bleed to death or something like that. So therapy, you mean life of the mother or, or irreversible medical problems with the fetus? Um, life and health. And I would also say that um, for certain, like, rape, there's, I've seen so many horrible things happen. So rape you include on therapeutic. For exactly. Sure. Yes. And, and frankly, plan B will prevent most of that. And you'd support uh, federal legalizing uh, abortion pill, things like that. Um, I don't think I would have people have that over the counter. Okay. So Amy, sorry, tell me a little about your personal story. You said you rose from your website from extreme poverty in a hoarding home. Yes. You've lived in a car, slept in a public bathroom, and gone without food or health care. Where was that? Was that Maryland? No. Um, I actually was born in Detroit. Uh-huh. Um, and if I ever go back to Harvard Hospital, they'll probably repossess me because I think they didn't pay for my birth. Um, the first place I remember living was actually in an abandoned building where we didn't have like a bathroom. So I would go out in the back to go to the bathroom. In this the was in Detroit? No, this was actually, we moved to rural northern Indiana, just south of Detroit. What, how did your parents pay for things? What did they do for a living? Um, my dad was, um, well, he was garnished, and he couldn't get a real job because every time he went to get a job, they would garnish him. And then Why he, were they garnishing his wages? Probably because I was born. <laughs> for medical bills, really? Yes. They could yes. do that and follow you state to state? They could back then. Well, they could what back was then. his profession? Um, he was actually a radio operator from the Korean war and he was good with radios and, um, electronics. And then he ended up selling vacuum cleaners door to door and repairing small appliances. And did your mom work too? Um, she was actually trained as a journalist. Um, and part of the, what she calls the fourth estate. She's a very brilliant woman, but unfortunately she has a problem with schizophrenia. So when you were growing up, did, how did they pay for food and why were they living in abandoned buildings? Um, we often didn't pay for food. We often like didn't have anything. Right. Um, we, we didn't have like a refrigerator. So we would go walk to try to get a quart of milk, which often was on credit. And then we go back and drink the whole quart of milk and have some bread. Wow. That was how we lived. And then whenever mom would um, save up enough money, she would go buy a Flintstones, uh, uh, vitamins and then I could have a vitamin every day. Um, did you go to school? Or? Um, I did go to school um, and school was horrible. Um, I was like beaten uh, by the other kids a lot and abused a lot. Um, Sorry. It was very unpleasant. <laughs> it was very unpleasant. And you know, I, we, the, the school was kind of the school that kept trying to maintain its accreditation and kept like getting behind on the accreditation issue. And then, um, my life was saved by the PSAT. Tell me about that. I hated the PSAT. <laughs> I, I took the PSAT to get out of English class. And, um, then like a couple of weeks later, the administration comes rushing in all happy and saying, Amy, Amy, you can go anywhere in the world for or anywhere in the country for college. Yay. And so I had, you know, done really well in the PSAT. And I'm like, oh, that's good. And so I ended up going to Johns Hopkins. Um, 
And when I got there, I, like I'd never heard of an AP test. I didn't know what those long S-shaped things were. That was actually some sort of math thing. It was an interest. <laughs> like, what are those long S things? My, my last one was uh, <laughs> factorials. Just the fact that exclamation point. Oh, meaning, like, exp- it's like this is an emphatic number. number before. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like this number is very, very excited today. <laughs> and so, so then you were on the path. You went to medical school. Yeah, built a career yeah. that way. And you also homeschooled your kids. I did. Yeah. Tell me why you did that and how that went. Um, it went great. Um, I started in sixth grade, um, with my son. He was, um, he was getting kicked out of the gifted and talented program. And where was this? This was in Maryland. So I did homeschool him through, uh, his senior year and he was actually the top student in the state of Maryland when he graduated. And that's how he became the U S presidential teacher from president Obama. That was very exciting. And, um, you know, well, what did you learn from homeschooling? Like, how did you deal with the issue about socialization, having other kids around? Oh, that's a that's it's so much better not being like tormented by the mean people. To be honest, um, everybody is super cool in homeschooling. So you get together and do group trips and things like yeah, that. Yeah, you do. You play with your friends. You hang out with your friends. It's just like any other friend group. Um, you just don't get brutalized. And then you still had to deal with bureaucracy, right? Didn't the state have to say we have to approve your lessons plan, show evidence of progress, that kind of stuff? Yes, it was kind of funny. My son had to do, I had my son just do his PowerPoint so he could go to the state and show that he had learned. And then the teacher was like unable to read the uh, the words that he was using. And there's, and she, she was like stumbling over the words he had written. And I'm like, oh. So um, he did very well, actually. And... Um, and you did your daughter too, right? Yes, my daughter as well. From um, what age? Also sixth through twelve. And how do they feel about it now? They um, they were angry that I didn't start sooner. Um, they thought they could have done so much better, but it's like he went to Yale Medical School and graduated kind of at the topish and is doing great. And my daughter just got a huge scholarship to Duke, and so it's not like they didn't do well. Um, it was. Well, you got to be mad at your parents about something. You so got to be. Like the fact that you homeschool them, <laughs> then they got to be mad that you didn't homeschool them before sixth grade, right? Right. They're like, oh, oh you made me go to school. I, I, hate, I hate to go to school. I'd be worried about your kids if they weren't mad at you about something. <laughs> they have to be child. mad at you. Yeah. So you live in North Haven. How did you come in- to Connecticut? And how, tell me about that. Oh, I didn't want to come to Connecticut. Am I allowed to say that? Yes. Um, okay. I didn't want to come to Connecticut. But my husband wa- was going to be the vice chair of research of his. Uh, uh, surgical department there at Yale. And he's like, Oh, come on, this is the last time we're going to move. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And so I moved here and you know, once when was that? that was 10 years ago. And that's when I was like looking, um, at the education system in Connecticut to see, Oh, where we're going to live. And it, that's when I came upon the Connecticut. They had this thing called from worst to first. And that was about how the achievement gap was going to go from 50th to number one. And I was like, oh, that's horrible. I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. So that was my first impression of Connecticut. And how do you like North Haven now? What's it like? There? Love it. It is so beautiful. There's no more beautiful place that I've ever lived. It's just the nature in Connecticut is stunning. So I'm very happy about it. Yeah. I like the nature here too. Yeah. All right, Amy, Chai, tell me, you've been running for Congress. What's the funnest or most enlightening moment you've had so far in the campaign? And what did you learn from it? I think it's actually the enlightening part. Um, I think the whole drama that we had over trying to maintain control over the whole independent caucus. Let me tell our listeners what you're talking about. The independent party probably had no problem endorsing you and some of these other people. But for governor, 
the Republican candidate Bob Stefanowski wanted once again to get the independent lines that could be on two lines again, right. 20 something thousand votes. And the party split in the vote. The party leadership did not want him. They had somebody else, this Liberian born individual who they thought was a better candidate for your values. And so the party was split and the party chairman broke the tie with the second vote. Stefanowski suing. I, I noticed that some lawyers I, I recognize were on your mm-hmm. side saying that state law actually lets parties do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, they, it, yeah state law does. And he didn't actually cast a second vote. He just made a, an executive decision. And there were a couple ballots for Rob that were actually thrown out because they were provisional ballots. They couldn't ver- verify that these for independents. Stefanowski? No, for Rob. So Rob actually did win, but... Mike is honest. He he actually eliminated those two extra and votes. And we had ranked choice voting. And right? we had ranked choice voting. So another woman uh, was um, eliminated. And so her votes went to her votes were were went to Rob. And then there were two extra votes for Rob. So he actually had eighty one votes versus seventy nine. And what was enlightening about it to you? So the party that wants to have election integrity has now had the only controversy really over how whether they follow the rules in nominating a candidate. Right and. This goes back to March when they interfered with our caucus, which mm. and we had to cancel it. So that's a long story. Um, but we were really it's it's a what I learned from it is that money talks, money talks, and it hurts me to to know that and that I personally have experienced some slander against myself, which kind of hurt. Welcome but. to the campaign. <laughs> I hate to say that, but you know. Yeah, it's like okay, I, I can, I can, I can handle it. I can handle it. And it's not personal, even though yeah. they're talking about you. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, I get it. And they, they don't know me. I mean, anybody who knows me, you know, knows that you know I care about people, and I'm not a mean person at all. So. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, I've enjoyed talking to you too. So, Amy Chai, thank you so much for visiting us here in Dateline, New Haven. Amy Chai is running for Congress, folks. Third congressional district that includes New Haven, North Haven, Hamden, and a whole bunch of other places. And uh, that'll be in the November. What day's the election again? November 8th. November 8th. Yeah. And, uh, so no more Deloro. How do they, f- how do, Chai. <laughs> how do they find out more about you, Amy? Doc Chai 2022. That's D O C C H A I 2022.com. All right. Thanks again. And thanks to Harry Jost, our station manager, who has now got this new feature in the studio when it tells us how many minutes. I'm not sure how many minutes, what it's till. Like, is it five minutes until the world blows up or climate change <laughs> leads to forest fires? Or what, what's the five minutes, Harry? Five minutes left in the show. Oh, five minutes left? Yeah, we're going to go out with the music. And the music is the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH. New Haven's home for community radio.